find someone or something that can help you get an understanding of God in a way that you can perceive him so that you can trust him. And if you get to a point where you can trust in God, then that allows you the opportunity or uh, the ability to try things that you otherwise wouldn't try. Welcome to the Fearless Happiness Podcast, where we showcase phenomenal individuals who have overcome serious traumas, life obstacles, and challenges to find their own path to fearless happiness. Listen as Max Naist invites guests from all around the world to share their experiences and spread strength, hope, and faith. This is the Fearless Happiness Podcast, and this is Max Naist. All right, everybody. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever wherever you are in this world, this is Max from the Fearless Happiness Podcast, and I've got another amazing guest today. So, Ross, what I like to do is have you introduce yourself to my audience, who you are, what it is you do, and then we're going to rock and roll. Okay. Um, I'm being interviewed, I think, mostly for a book. Um, There's lots of talk about the difference between happiness and joy, mostly at the end where we talk about joy is possibly a bit uh, deeper than happiness. And I like to look at the other end of joy and happiness as uh, in in the ter- in terms of what is the source of joy and what is the source of happiness. And that way you have a better shot at getting to both uh, if you know how to get there from. Awesome. I love it, right? Because I believe that, you know, and my my belief is that joy or happiness can be fleeting sometimes, right? You know, you get happy, like, but then you walk out the door, stub your toe, and that goes out the window, right? But joy, on the other hand, because like Absolutely. we were talking about before the podcast started, right, was our grandkids. Like, they bring a lot of joy into my life. And I know same for you from what we were talking about. But so um, how did this all start? I know we talked about, in, you know, before we came on, you went to USC um, and, and stuff like that, which, by the way, Ross, I'm the biggest USC fan there ever was. And my family will tell you that <laughs> I'm a diehard USC fan. But anyway, let's this is about you and talk about like and then we'll talk about your book. But what are the things and well, I like to say some of the challenges you you had to face growing up that led you to write your book and stuff like that? And OK, so I've been a lucky soul in that many of the challenges that people uh, go through in life um, deaths in the family, uh, addictions of all kinds. Uh, I haven't had too much of that yet. And so I've been pretty lucky in the guard. Uh, I went on a two-year mission for the Mormon church to, uh, the challenge for me there was, I was a 19-year-old when I went, and it was like, okay, uh, I'm supposed to be this star or uh you know, academic uh, kind of a guy to teach uh, the Buddhist people all about Jesus Christ. That was a challenge for me. I uh, had my own path that I had to figure out. And uh, how much of Christianity did I believe compared to Buddhism, which is what I spent a lot of time uh, with in Thailand. And uh, I came home with the idea that uh, really we get we get into these uh, brambles uh, which which gave rise to the name of the book, Joy and the Brambles. We get into these brambles or uh, diversions or distractions from what's important in life. And it kind of came down to me uh, 
that service is where it really matters. And service brings joy. And happiness actually comes for myself. So it's inward thinking. Uh, doesn't make it bad. It's just inward thinking. I like pizza. I like to go to bed earlier and earlier as I get older. Um, dieting and exercise are so that my body's better, and I like that. So there are things that bring us happiness. For me, going to a Dodger game with friends and uh, eating a Dodger dog, it's the greatest. They're all inward kinds of things, and they're fleeting. And the interesting thing for me was they're fleeting points of happiness and joy that can last with us. And joy comes from serving other people. And uh, in order to get to joy, care about people, first of all. And then the next thing is you have to actually have compassion for people. And that means you have to start thinking about, well, okay, I care about this person's problem. Is there something I can do about it? Do I have compassion and empathy enough to actually help someone? Then the third step is charity, which is, or service, which is to go out and actually perform the service that will solve this person's problem, whether it's a big problem or a little problem. Uh, I tell a story in the book. I was in a leadership position in a congregation in South Pasadena, California, and I would look down and uh, at, at the congregation, and this young fellow named Dominique turned 12, and so he was ordained a deacon in the church, which meant he could pass the sacrament. But he never passed the sacrament. I thought, well, I cared enough to wonder why he didn't pass the sacrament once he was uh, ordained and was able to do it. And so I went down and asked him one day, uh, I said, Dominique, why aren't you passing the sacrament? And you, you can now, you want to, right? And I want to. And I said, well, okay, why don't you? And he said, well, I don't have a white shirt and a tie, and I feel embarrassed uh, that I don't have the right kind of clothes that all the other deacons have to pass the sacrament. Too bad. And like a fool, uh, that was it. I, I went home. And that night I said to Clarilyn, you know, my wife, Clarilyn, I said, oh, poor Dominique, you know, he's got this problem and he, he doesn't sacrament because uh, he doesn't have a shirt and tie. And my wife said, well, she didn't say these exact words. She's nicer than that. But it was mm -hmm. like, well, you idiot, you can solve that problem. Uh, and I said, well, what? Go buy him a white shirt and tie. You can solve that problem. So I got the caring part. I cared, but right. I didn't have the empathy uh, or the compassion to think about, well, how can I help him solve his problem? It wasn't that big of a deal. And my wife said, well, you obviously can solve the problem. So that week I called on, I took him out and got him a white shirt and tie and got excited and got him shoes and, you know, the pant, the whole thing. Right. And it was great. And the next day he's passing the sacrament, problem solved. And uh, I sat up there and felt this fulfillment, this inner this inner sense of joy, this inner light that I, uh, as a result of doing the right thing. And it wasn't that big of a deal, but I had tripped after caring and didn't get to compassion and didn't get to charity or service. And so I would have missed that opportunity, but for my wife. And it was an opportunity that, you know, was there all, all along. I just didn't see it. And we have those opportunities constantly uh, that, that we have, but we have all these distractions around us. Uh, a lot of them uh, these days, uh, man, they, they just are all over the place, particularly politics. On one side of the aisle, you hate Donald Trump, and so it blinds you to everything. And on the other side, you hate Joe Biden, and it blinds you to that.
either guy. And so why in the world do I get that upset about any of it? Uh, but I do. And everybody else does too. And they lose friendships, they lose family uh, over this, this, this thing, this personality problem that we have with either one of them, depending on which side we're on. And right. we, because we focus on that, we don't have joy. We get family arguments. We have different problems in our lives and they all distract us from joy. So how I came about uh, this book was I was asked to give a talk in a congregation and it was about uh, a missionary going out to serve. And so these thoughts came into my head and I wrote them down. I gave the talk. And after the meeting, uh, several people came up and said, you know, that really is a book. It's not a talk. It's a book. And you ought to write a book. Uh, I'd never really thought about that much before. But over the years, I thought about it. I wrote notes and I got a little, uh, the notes got a little longer and they started dividing into chapters. And uh, after 12 years, uh, a book finally, uh, finally happened. Uh, and I had a title, Choose Joy. And I thought that was a wonderful title. And uh, I was at an airport in Oakland and on the uh, book rack was a book called Choose Joy. And I thought, oh, I've, I've missed, I've missed my chance. And I bought it. It was by this uh, wonderful lady, Kay Warren. Uh, Rick Warren is a mega church guy in Orange County. And uh, his wife wrote a book, Choose Joy. So I bought it. I read it. It was actually pretty good. But I thought, well, it missed, it missed the point I want to make in that there's actually a difference in how you get there uh, to each one. And that's important because it helps you uh, get to each uh, and it helps you understand there actually is a different path to each one. And if you if you know that path, you can then travel it and have both. So that's kind of how I got to the book. And that's kind of what the book is about uh, generally. Awesome. I love it. Um, so you talk about ways to get to the joy, right? Why don't you explain to my audience like what some of the ways that you found in this journey of yours to get to the joy, right? Because we know it's different for everybody, right? Some people right. like that outside, you know, the cars, the whatever, the toys. And, and then some people like that joy that comes from in here, right? The heart. We each have different. Yeah. We each have different stations in life. We have different uh, likes and dislikes. We have different experiences. So I think you're absolutely right. Our, our paths towards joy uh, will come from very different uh, places. Some people are very rich and just write a check for some poor kid to go to school, and that's great. Right. Uh, some of us don't have that kind of money, and we look uh, we look at little things that we can do, and uh, that's enough. We can get to that in a different way. And um, so I, I just told a story out of the book of Dominique and the fact that I had no clue what I was doing uh, in terms of any after caring that I I wasn't good at compassion and I wasn't good at carrying it out, which is service and charity. Uh, so near the end of the book, I tell another story about I was better. I was better. So as an attorney in Southern California, I, as a litigation attorney, I would go from courthouse to courthouse. And oftentimes, I mean, three or four times a week, I would go from like the court in Los Angeles down to the court in San Diego, and I would make two appearances in the day, and I'd have to fight the traffic to get from one place right. to the next. <laughs> this one time I was in LA for my afternoon court appearance, 
I hated the freeways, although, you know, people whine about them, but they're pretty direct places. They just get pretty crowded. And uh, so oftentimes I would get upset with myself in front of me and behind me and uh, we'd just be parking. You could almost get out of the car and talk to people. It was so bad. So I get off the freeway and take surface streets, which added about an hour to my drive time. But I was at least moving. I was going down Atlantic Boulevard one time in a, in a poor part of, you know, L.A. County. And I was getting hungry. It was about 536 o'clock. Um, I'd already been fighting traffic for a couple of hours and uh, it was a Friday night and I called my wife and I said, oh, I'm not going to make it home for dinner. Uh, I'll just stop and get something, which was pretty routine. Uh, I saw McDonald's, one of my uh, favorite uh, gourmet restaurants, and thought <laughs> that's where I'll eat. And I pulled off, saw that the line was long. Oh, I don't want to do that. It's not that good. And uh, so I went to the CVS pharmacy, which was my generally my next place to eat, where I would uh, dine on Cheetos and a Milky Way and, you know, diet Mountain Dew. And so I walked into the store, CVS, and I saw this young mom, 15 years old, very young. And uh, she had a little boy uh, in tow. And the little boy, this was in the spring. So there was Christmas uh, DVDs on sale. And they were trying to get rid of them. So they had marked them to $4.99 for a DVD. This little boy had a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer DVD and really wanted it. And his mom said, uh, I can't afford it. We just don't have the money for that. And being in the part of, I, you know, if that was clearly not an excuse, that was real. So. Right. I went and got my my dinner and uh, uh, went over to the conveyor belt and put it on. And this mom and her little boy um, got in line right behind. Bill was talking about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I thought, well, the caring part is I feel bad that she can't buy that for him. And uh, for once, I thought, well, I could do something about that. I could, I could fix that. So I put myself down. I walked over and got the DVD. Uh, and I bought it with the rest of my stuff. And then I turned around and handed it to this little boy. And I didn't look up at the mom because I'm an old, you know, I'm an old fart and uh, <laughs> trying to maybe, maybe she would think I was impress her. Or so. yeah, I had no idea what, what her reaction might be right. to him. And he was, uh, he was over the moon. And I then, then just turned and walked out with my stuff. And instead of getting the, in the car and driving home and eat my stuff and spill it all over me, I just sat in the parking lot and I just kind of found that I had done something for someone else. And I felt this joy. And this is now a dozen years later. I still feel pretty good about having done that for that little boy. And it only cost me $4.99 to have this scent of peace uh, and joy in my life and it, it was not that hard but it, it was something that some years back i wouldn't have i wouldn't have recognized as an opportunity to serve and so i think uh, i think that as we fight traffic or as we get mad at our kids or you know hate politics or or whatever uh, sometimes we get diverted from the pathway to joy that i think is always there for us, which is an interesting uh, uh, kind of a deal. And because I'm a, uh, 
Christian guy, uh, I kind of relate that to, although I don't think you have to have uh, a particular religion or a particular view of God or anything like that for this joy to occur. Uh, I think it's available to anyone who is willing to look to their neighbor uh, and and help them. Uh, I think that's joy comes to. Um, so uh, I, I agree do that a little you. bit. Maybe, maybe I should. Yeah, maybe maybe I should do that a little bit. So the book itself, actually, um, I tried to keep out any Mormon reference because I think this is available to everyone, regardless of religion or not even having a religion. Right. And so I thought, I don't want people to think that I uh, feel like since I'm a Mormon, I get this and nobody right. else does. Right. It's available to everyone. But I realized that I am a Mormon, so my view is skewed a little bit that way. And so uh, I need to put at least some of it in. So I have many quotes from, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali and Zig Ziglar and all kinds of different people, Mother Teresa, and, right. um, because I think so many people get so close to the mark to say, look, here's what it is. So Christ, uh, when uh, in his various sermons, taught that uh, when, when we're in the service of our fellow man, we're in the service of God, and he will bless us. If we want to find our life, we lose it serving others. And so joy comes, uh, he said in another place, peace I leave with you, uh, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. And I think what that really means is, is look for peace in terms of, I want the big house in Beverly Hills, or I want the nice new car, or I want the worldly things, and uh, I want peace in the world. Uh, all of the beauty pageant uh, people, when they're asked what they want, they want peace in the world. Um, but what he's really offering us is in an inner peace. And uh, individually, we can have that peace, even with all of the problems in the world and our own problems, we can still have peace, which is joy, uh, if, if we do the first two great commandments, which is love God and do that by loving each other and serving each other. Right. So it's a fairly simple, uh, simple thing. And the book, it's almost embarrassingly simple. Uh, and yet we tend to um, we tend to get uh, lost in all of this stuff and brambles. I've had people call me and say or write to me and say, well, Ross, why? Uh, why joy in the brambles? I even had to look up what is brambles? What are they? And uh, so the name of the book came about because I have planted in my yard some blackberries and some raspberries and it's grapefruit. I love it. Um, I have diabetes. It's a couple of things that I can actually eat. And so that's it's so it's fun. Uh, but to get to those uh, uh, raspberries and blackberries, you have to go through these prickly branches and they're called brambles. And in order to get to play, you have to separate uh, from yourself those branches, those distractions of life. Right. And the joy is uh, the joy fruit is always there. But you just have to get through these things to get to them. And I called the brambles, they are the distractions of life. Um, you run that. out of gas, which I've done. Uh, right. all, all those kinds of things that happen to you. And um, uh, when, you, when you get to that point, if you just step back and look at the needs of someone else and help them, 
your problems uh, seem to lessen and you get this peace. There's a great uh, Christmas song and uh, the words go, peace on earth towards, uh, uh, towards men and uh, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Right. And I was reading a book, uh, Don Quixote, and in that it has a different translation of that same line. Because, you know, the Bible comes from the Greek and the Latin, and depending on how you translate it, it, it can come out a little different in places. And that right. one, Peace on Earth, Goodwill Towards Men, comes out in uh, Don Quixote's book as Peace on Earth Toward Men of Goodwill. So as they do good things, they get peace. And to me, that's the joy, probably probably a, a more understandable translation of that phrase, that as you worry about joy comes in your life. So uh, I find that to be uh, the translation I uh, better. Uh, I like that, right? And I mean, thank you for sharing that because if you think about it, like um, I got clean and sober almost 21 years ago now, right? And one of the big uh -huh. things they teach us in the 12-step program is service work, right? When all else fails, go help someone. Right. And there's a part yeah. in the big book that yep. says nothing will ensure our sobriety as intensive work with other alcoholics. Right. Which means I have to get out of myself. Right. And I found, though, in those almost 21 years that I get so much joy. Right. Is everyone successful and stay sober? No. But the ones that do. Right. When you truly have, like you say, compassion and you care and you want nothing else but for them to stay sober, I mean, you can't put a price on that. You know what I mean? It's like, I like it at sometimes to playing with my granddaughters, right? They're so stinking cute, right? And when they're calling you grandpa and giving you that big hug around your neck, that's joy for me, you know? And I know you can relate to that, yep. right? Um, and and Ross, it's, you know, like hearing Absolutely you- right. Right. Hearing you talk about. Right. Like, and I'm like you. I don't like talking about politics too much, especially when there's extremes on both sides. Right. Because they always end up arguing and getting in a fight because their side's right and this side's right. And right. <laughs> As you know, right. you've, you've been around it. Um, uh, so I try not to bring politics into the house. Right. Because I want this to be like my sanctuary and where people feel welcome but if I'm like, you know, if I'm the Trump guy going, oh, you got to vote for me or you got to vote for the Republican Party, you know, people are like, I'm not going to go over to Max's house or I could be the other guy. Right. Like, oh, you got to vote for Biden. Right. You know, people, as you see on the news and in the and you know, they're it's like they're trying to pit us against each other. So we don't have that joy. Right. But I'm of the same belief as you is like. I have a strong faith in God. Right. Because he got me sober. And I told him, when you get me sober, God, I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay sober. And, and look, here I am today with Ross, right, talking about joy, finding joy in the brambles. And we know there's brambles all over this, whether it's social media, in the news, every day, going to the store, something like, for instance, like this past week has been crazy in my small, quiet little town of Fallbrook, right? We've, We've had some horrible things happen and that in the seven years that I've lived here with my wife, that it's not been that crazy. Right. But it, it's stuff that you just go, OK, 
this is where I learned to stick to the basics, right? And I always ask God, wherever I can be of service, God, please use me for that. And and that's where I find joy. Sometimes it's not even people in the program. It's just that stranger that needs a hand with their car because their battery didn't start, right? Because I have jumper cables. They don't. Here I go. And to see that smile on their face, like someone actually cared enough to stop and help me. You know what I mean? Yep. So absolutely. You and, know, and, and joy. Another thing about joy that's really great is that you don't even have a participant to feel that joy down the road. And I have a story in the book uh, about my second grade STEM. Uh, I didn't like to go to open houses at the end of the year because I felt like well, okay, the year's already passed. I don't know what the point of open house is. My wife is a fourth grade teacher, absolutely hates that I have that attitude, uh, <laughs> but I have that attitude. And and so uh, this one year she had to do some other things. So I had to go to the open house and I walk up and down the halls and I say hi to people and I try to avoid having to listen to all the talks from the teachers because it's already happened. And so it's hard for me to care. So this one time, second grade, Mr. Dahlberg at a school, not at Oneana, I'm sorry, at El Centro. So I I walk in and I sit down and he's just finishing his talk. And I'd wandered around. I found Sam, my son. I found his desk and I squeezed myself into the little seat. And then I sat there thinking, well, now what do I do? So I started fumbling through his things. And I pulled out of the desk this uh, little pencil box. And it was this plastic Star Wars, very ornate, articulate thing. And I thought, well, where did he get this and buy this? And I'm playing with it. And I notice that somebody's looking at It's Mr. Dahlberg. And he's finished his talk. And he was talking to parents. He came back to me. And he said, that's a that's a neat little pencil box, isn't it? And I said, yes. And he says, do you know the story of the pencil box? No, I no. And in my head, I thought, did Sam steal it? What, what is there a story here I don't want to hear? Right. Uh, and he said, it's really, it's really quite quite a story. The boy who sat next to him all year, uh, when he came into the second grade, he and I was worried I was gonna have to hold him back a year because I had a large class. I couldn't, I couldn't spend specific time with him enough to bring him up to grade level in reading. Right. And he said, all this past year, your son, Sam, stayed in at lunches and recesses and taught him to read. And when, uh, when we got to this point in the year, I found that I would be able to move him on to the third grade because now he can read because of Sam. And I told his parents what had happened during the year. And his parents bought Sam uh, the little pencil box. And that's how Sam uh, came to have that. And um, it kind of picked me up, uh, really. And and Mr. Dahlberg, the second grade teacher, had tears coming down his cheeks telling the story. Um, joy was because Sam served that little boy. And I felt that joy, having never participated in that at all. Um, Even though I didn't participate, God blessed me that joy is something that's like a rippling in the ocean or on a lake. You You can feel it. 
down the road. And you don't even have to be there to feel that. And I contrast that to happiness, where you're at a party and there are people who uh, were involved in an event, uh, say, six months ago, a river trip or something, and they're talking about it and laughing about it. And really, they're reminiscing good times and they're happy. And you're sitting there listening and you didn't participate in it. So you're thinking, eh, okay. And then they look at you and they say, well, I guess you had to be there. And I think with happy, oftentimes that's true. You had to be there. But with joy, you don't even have to be there. Joy is this inner light, this inner warmth that comes from charity. And uh, other people can feel it, whether they were there or not. Uh, it's a good feeling that can be passed on. And Sam and the Pencil Box is one of the favorite stories in the book uh, for a lot of people. Because here's a second grader who took his time to someone else, and it impacts people all around him, not just him and not just the other boy who now can move on, uh, but even the second grade teacher who was concerned but couldn't really do anything about it. And then me as a father, uh, listening to that story of my son actually did something really nice for someone else. Uh, so there is that distinction that I make between joy and happiness. Uh, joy actually is something that can be shared, uh, even if you're not there, whereas happiness is something you have to experience uh, yourself. Um, I guess there's there's one uh, one other story in the book that comes to mind uh, that that sometimes, not always, sometimes you have to choose between happy and joy, and sometimes that's a hard choice. Right. So I coached a little league baseball team in Laguna Beach. And we had 10 to 12 year olds in the in the uh, team. Uh, we were Rotary. Uh, Rotary sponsored us. And it was a fun year. We won the league and we moved on to the uh, uh, Orange County Championships. And we got to the semifinal game and playing against this 12 year old pitcher who was really good. And we were having a hard time hitting off him. Score was four to two. Our last at bat, two outs, one on. And one of my 12-year-olds was at the plate. Clearly, he was not going to hit the ball. This 12-year-old pitcher was way too good, and he was going to strike out. So I called this 10-year-old kid, my team up, and I said, hey, get a helmet. I'm going to have you pinch hit for the on-deck hitter, who was also a 12-year-old, but maybe my weakest player. Um, and he, he got excited because, okay, he gets to play. And he was a good hitter, so he had a shot. Um, so he went and got his helmet. He came back to me and he said, coach, maybe we should let, I'll say Tom, uh, maybe we should let Tom hit. And I looked at him kind of funny and he goes, he's a 12 year old. He's probably never going to get a chance to play baseball again. This is probably his last chance to do something. So maybe we should let him hit. I was, I was crushed. It was like, this little 10-year-old kid, shut up and do what I tell you to do. <laughs> right. But he pricked my conscience and he pricked my heart. And and it was like, okay, Ross, what, what I would be happy about is to win the game. That's what I wanted. And I didn't think about the needs of these kids individually at the, at the moment until Roy pointed it out to me. Right. And uh, so I, I said, okay, Roy. You're right. So we let him hit uh, this guy we named Tom for today. Right. And if this were a Hallmark movie, he hit a home run and uh, tied the game. Uh, but it's not a Hallmark movie, and he <laughs> struck out, <laughs> and, we, and we lost. 
Uh, but for me, there was a difference. I could try, try to choose happy to win the game, or I could choose joy, this 12-year-old kid who this was probably his last at-bat. I don't think he will ever know that Roy did that for him. Right. I, I don't think he'll ever know. But for me, I have a picture. I mean, this is 20 years later of Roy up in my house because he he taught me a lesson. And uh, there was a difference between happy and joy at that moment. I had to choose. Right. And I don't think that comes up all the time. I don't think it comes up most of the time. But it does come up on occasion when you have to choose between happy and joy. And I think for people with predilections or uh, addictions or things like that, that becomes a very thing for them. Uh, the happiness of you know, doing this thing that's probably counterproductive, but makes you feel good at the moment, or right. uh, are you going to get control of it and uh, uh, down the road have joy? Um, so that was that was something that came up that I has always lived with me. Uh, that this ten year old choose and coach, you should choose the right thing. Right, and uh, so that was that was. God uh, there are differences, uh, and sometimes you have to choose. Right. That was yeah, God working through that 10 year old yeah. at that moment, just for you. You know what I mean? And, and you yeah. know, who felt, you know, who, who yeah. felt joy at that moment was God. If you think about it, cause he was like proud of Ross, like, Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like you said that, that and at that moment, I will say at that moment, I didn't feel joy. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> at that moment, I didn't feel the joy we lost. Right. And I thought, well, there goes my happy. But uh, ever since then, it was the right choice, and I have felt joy. And every time I think of Roy, uh, I just I just feel great. And that's why his picture's up in my house, you know. It's, right. He's, he's pictures. <laughs> that's where you're right. So, where That's where the joy is uh, lasting, yeah. right? Because all you have to do is look at his picture and, and know what right. that, that was all about at that moment, right? Yeah, at that moment as a coach, right? Yeah. The, yeah. Comp as the competitor in you, you're like, oh, we should have left you back. But when you think about it, though, look, yeah. you gave that kid a yeah. chance, though he struck out. And then that other kid that said, hey, coach, this is the right thing to do. Let him hit. Let him try. Because, and, you know, we don't get that very often. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where a kid will, or any of us, like sometimes in the heat of the moment, will not think about that. Because we want that instant gratification. Trust me, for uh, for being a recovering alcoholic and addict, right. I I know that feeling. I wanted it. I wanted it yesterday. And if I'm not going to get it, I'm going to be angry. And who wants to walk yeah. around angry for making those choices where we knew we could have went the other way? So I applaud you for that. And that's right. We need more of that in this world. <laughs> so I can't wait to get your book and, and read it because this world is so full of brambles. And you mentioned something, this is kind of off topic a little bit, but like you're diabetic, right? And you can eat the blackberries and the raspberries. Those are not bad for us diabetics. Is that what you're telling me? Because I get joy in eating well, fruit. Well, they're not as bad as what I used to eat. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're not as bad as what they what I used to eat. <laughs> uh, so, so I have, you know, with better eating habits, I'm down 30 pounds and... Uh, so it's it's been good, 
uh, and I still cheat probably more than I should, but, um, but gotten better and I can't get mad about the diabetes because, uh, so again, this, this is off the topic of the book, but, uh, my family has a history of diabetes okay. and my, uh, I see my brother who lives in Texas every few years. And so we were meeting in New York at this thing and, uh, we're catching up on everything. And he, he's, uh, I, I said to him, so, you know, what, what's going on in your life, uh, that's different. Uh, and he goes, well, I, I got diagnosed with uh, diabetes and I said, Oh, so we talked about that for a few minutes and I said, well, what is the, what's the worst part of that for you? You know, it's a medication. Is it the diet? What, what is it? And he goes, well, that you don't have it. And I, I said, what? And he goes, you have the worst eating habits of anyone I've ever known and you don't have diabetes. That's what bugs. Me. And so, uh, so for me to finally get it, it's not like I blame anybody for it. It was me. And I've had to make some rather radical changes in the way I uh, do things. Uh, and I've been successful more than not my times when I've tripped and failed and uh, got to the gas station and I was hungry and got a Milky Way. And uh, right. But I don't do it near as well. I keep thinking some of these gas stations are going to close down because I'm not buying their candy anymore. <laughs> so far, they're all still open. Right. Yeah, I just found that out this year, too. I'm a type two, so I'm with you. You know, I get a joy out of my Reese's peanut butter cups once in a while, but I've also had to, like, change up my diet. And then, but one thing that my wife and I do every day together is we're at the gym at 630 in the morning and we work out and we, you know, because I know fitness will help, right, as well as diet. I got to watch, yeah. right? And, and uh, but see, that's yeah. the thing that brings me joy, knowing that I... I care enough to change the way I eat and stuff like that. So I can be with my family longer. Like, you know, us grandpas got to be right. around for a while. We got to set the example, you know, whether we got diabetes or not. Right. They're looking up to grandpas. So, I mean, this, this has just been uh, yeah. a, an amazing interview so far. I love it. Um, and I love your the title, the brambles, because if you think there's so many things that can distract us from finding happiness and joy, if we let them, but I love how you say you find those right. things in those moments, right? It may not happen at that moment, but you're going to look back and it's going to bring you joy. Um, you know, like when I, yeah. my mom, before and, she passed away yeah. and sitting with her every Monday night, right. And, and taking care of her right at the moment, it wasn't, for me, the most joyful thing to do, because I'm watching my mother who literally is dying of a broken heart. And I can tell you about that later. But the moments that we had together in that six month period, like you can't put a price, the joy that came from it, you know, even though it, it was at the moment, not so, but I can look back and put a smile on my face because I had that one on one time with my mom until she passed. You know what I mean? Yep. Yes. And, and uh, so, to, so to follow up on that, uh, I find that one of the problems with COVID, the evils of COVID, was that we were separated from each other. And so we couldn't yes. serve each other in the same way that we could before. And therefore, uh, a lot of this depression and stuff that happened was because we had this separateness. And the idea of being together is really important. Um, 
I think while I said at the beginning that I don't really care what religion you are, I really, I don't. It's, but, but be a part of a congregation somewhere or a group right. who you can uh, help, you can be a part of. And when you have problems, they can help you. Absolutely. So it's another story. I, I tell a lot of stories in the book. Uh, as you can tell. And uh, I have a lot of quotes, a lot of stories. One guy called it a reference book rather than a book because I have so many quotes and uh, scriptural references. Uh, but one story in the book that talks about a congregation and how it, uh, I have this very active, uh, well, I still have this very active daughter who's now in her 40s uh, and has been uh, full, but a handful for for uh, all of that time, she was four, I think she was four years old, and she was seeing how far she could jump, and she was jumping over a pickle jar, one of those big gallon pickle jars, and every time she made it over the pickle jar, she'd move it a little, little farther out, and then, and she got it out far enough, apparently, where she figured out she couldn't jump over it, when she tried to jump over it, failed, fell backwards, and snapped her elbow, and broke oh. it in several places. So she was at the hospital, and I was at work in downtown L.A., and I got the call and was just freaked out. And so I got in the car, and I used the emergency parking lanes, I, you know, all the traffic and stuff. And I finally got to Huntington Memorial Hospital in Pasadena, and I walked in the door, and my dad and her other grandpa were both there uh, with her. And she was she was okay, but she was in a in a uh, traction machine with her arm up in the air. And the doctor said she has to be in that machine at that hospital in that bed for two weeks. Otherwise, her elbow will not heal and she won't get full use of her arm. Right. So um, I don't even stayed there that night, uh, whether it was me or one of the grandpas. But by noon the next day, one of the um, women in the congregation who was in charge of the other women in the congregation, she had put together a calendar for the two weeks and had it filled out so that in a two-week period, my daughter spent no more than 10 minutes alone oh, for two man. weeks. There was somebody that. there singing with her, coloring with that. her, uh, spending the night with her, bringing her a meal, uh, 10 minutes out of two weeks. Now, I just don't know that that can happen if it was left to just me to try to do. But because there was a congregation that was there, had similar beliefs, uh, they could be utilized and they were happy to do it and they were happy to serve. And so I kind of feel like, look, uh, I don't know that it's smart to try to do it on your own. You know, right. fine thing. Uh, people, have, people have AA, they have uh, sponsors uh, that help them. That's great. Uh, I, it doesn't matter too much to me where you go for that help, but participate uh, in something, uh, believe in something. And uh, that way uh, you open up opportunities for you to serve, for others to serve you when you have a need. And we all have those needs at different times for different reasons. Uh, so that's another thing that, that I think is really important uh, to point out and to make sure people are aware of that that service uh I don't think God meant that service for us to serve ourselves. Right. Uh, it's to serve other people. 
And uh, these, these different congregations or groups allow for that to happen more easily. Right. I couldn't agree with so. you more, right? Because I think the basic human need is to feel connected to other people, right? That, right? Because like even in, in, in recovery, they say the opposite of addiction is connection, right? And they don't say, okay, hmm. go over here by yourself and uh, try to get sober, right? It's always with other people and, and finding your community, whether it's AA, NACA, whatever AA, you know what I mean? Is, and that's how I've, right learn to be as a counselor is I tell them, I don't care how you do this, right? Just don't do it alone, right? Find what works for you and be around people right. that are doing the same thing you are. So that in case you trip and fall, you got people to help you back up and vice versa. When you see someone, you can help them, right? Because the basic premise right. of, of any 12 step program is one alcoholic or one addict helping another. Right. You don't it doesn't say anywhere in those, yeah. the, the literature that you do it alone. And, you know, right, because. Right. Like God had the 12 disciples. Right. He didn't do it or Jesus, you know, didn't do it alone. And it was always groups of people that were trying to carry the message. Right. And, and I think that when we right. connect with one another. Right. You know, and I've connected with people that I would never thought I would connect with because of this platform and because I'm sober, right? And and found some of, like yourself, some of the most amazing people on this earth that are out to help other people and show them that they can find joy in this world, right? And it's been an awesome time with you so far. Like, it's just been amazing. But now I get to ask my questions specifically. And um, okay, <laughs> so I wrote a book, right? Which is a book from my active addiction into recovery. And I've called it Fearless Happiness. If you can see it there over my shoulder. So, uh, Ross, what does fearless mean to you and how does that show up in your life on a daily basis? I think a fundamental belief uh, that someone loves you and is looking at helps you to be, be fearless, helps you to face things. And for me, because I'm a Mormon, it's my perception of God. Uh, other people have different perceptions of God, and there's another bramble that comes up with in that people that know my perceptions better than you, or right. you know, uh, it can't you can't look at it any other way. And we get into in the Christian world, uh, by work, or you know, all these different things that we can that are brambles. And right. the idea is uh, have a belief or at least a hope in God. And if you have that hope in a God, uh, find, find someone or something, an association that can help you get an understanding of God in a way that you can perceive him so that you can trust him. And if you get to a point where you can trust in God, then that allows you the opportunity or uh, the ability to try things that you other, otherwise wouldn't try, uh, to try to avoid alcohol or to try to avoid pornography or to try to love your spouse more uh all kinds of things that that oftentimes left to our own devices we would just walk away from and uh so for me the idea of fearless and it was one of the questions you asked at the at the top end of this and we were talking about actually doing this interview what is fearless to you? And it did make me think about, okay, so what is that to me? And I think 
a real foundational principle is a faith or a hope in a higher being who loves me and in my in my own religion um, is my is my heavenly father and who loves me as a child and therefore wants the best for me and is willing to help me if I will at least take a step out and try. And uh, if I'm willing to do that, uh, I don't have to be afraid of failure. Help me get back up. So for me, that's kind of uh, an important factor in fearlessness is trusting or at least having a hope in God. I love however it. you perceive him. Right. Exactly. I love it. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's it, right? Just have a faith that there's a power greater than ourselves out there that truly loves and cares for us and will not let us down, right? So we could have that courage to go, I'm going to try it anyway, even though I'm I'm scared yeah. right now, but I know someone's got my back. Um, I, I love that. Um, yeah. And even if, if you don't make it, he loves you. So you, he'll help you get back up. It's okay. Absolutely. 100%. So my next question is happiness, seeing that I put the why in there. What does happiness mean for you, Ross? And how does that show up in your life on a daily basis? Which we kind of covered throughout this um, whole <laughs> podcast, but I want to hear like a, another perspective from you. Yeah. So the idea of happiness, I think, is your ability to learn who you are, uh, and and what kinds of things brings you uh, individual fulfillment? Um, I weighed, okay, well, I weighed a lot. Um, and then when I got diabetes, I had a couple of choices. I could continue to weigh a lot for six or eight months and then die, or I could get some self-control and lose some weight and do what I can uh, to live a longer life. And we've talked about grandkids. Um, right. It's a huge motivator for me uh, to stick around. Uh, I don't know with children. So this is off, off track a little bit, but the idea is with children, you have to discipline and you have to do things besides just have fun and play with them. You have to right. be their parent. A lot of right. times I hear parents say, oh, I, I want them to be my friend. Well, okay, but you're also their parent. Right. And that connotes <laughs> more than just being their friend. You have to teach them. And uh, so as a, as a grandparent, uh, it's actually sometimes interfering a little if you try to teach them. As a grandparent, your job is to basically uh, let them know that you love them no matter what. And they always have someone who loves them. Their parents love them like that too, but the parents have to discipline them. So there's these brambles that get in the way right. with that relationship. Right. And it's a set of brambles we don't have. We just have to, we just love them. That's our job. And it's actually a pretty fun job. Yes, it is. So happiness is getting our getting ourselves in a position where we have control over ourselves and we can enjoy, we find out what we enjoy in life. Uh, what makes us a better person and work for some people going to a Dodger game is not that big of a deal for me going to a Dodger game and having a Dodger dog at some point during the game, maybe two uh, is a great big deal. Now this is a, this is a, a plea to uh, the Dodgers. Please bring back the uh, diced onions for the hot dogs because <laughs> I really miss those. But 
it's what those kinds of things, those kinds of things make me happy. And um, I think happiness is something we have to have in our lives uh, to bring fulfillment to us. But I think we have to make sure we understand there's a difference between that and joy. I love it. I love it. Right. Because I I believe that, you know, happiness is those little things that happen over time that we keep doing. Right. And then joy is the byproduct of all that. Like at the end, you know what I mean? Like you've shared it. Um, I love it. Yeah. Happiness allows you to have more of an opportunity to serve because you're in a better position to do it. But with all the brambles and the horrible things that can go on in life, you can still have joy. Sometimes, for example, health things uh, are a problem for us, and we don't have a lot of control over it. And yet we can still be joyful in serving others. But if you're healthy, it's easier. You you have more uh, energy to do good things for people. So happiness uh, is something that we shouldn't shortchange, and I don't mean to shortchange it. But at the same time, uh, joy is really the end goal because it's what lasts and uh, it's what echoes. Uh, There's one tiny little quote I have in the book, uh, something to the effect of what we do here echoes in the eternities. And it comes from a a movie called Gladiator. And uh, good movie. I I find that it is really, uh, really quite true uh, when it comes to joy. What we do uh, that brings joy is something that is really remembered. Um, so I, do we have time for one more story? Absolutely. Okay. So in 1994, there was uh, an earthquake uh, in Northridge. I and remember. it was a pretty big one, and people yep. were really, really hurt. I was in South Pasadena, and one of my really, really close friends uh, was in Northridge at the epicenter. And in our house in South Pasadena, we had a big chandelier in the dining room, and it was rocking back and forth so much that it was all that rocked. And we lost our chimney and, you know, some other things. But but we were all okay, and we were sitting at breakfast and uh, thinking, wow, that was a a big deal, and what a mess we're going to have to clean up. And then I remembered, oh, John and Stephanie out in North, uh, we weren't at the epicenter. They were. I wonder how they are. It was at the time when the big cell phones were coming in. You had to plug them in, and they still had cords. And right. uh, so communication wasn't quite what it is now. And I tried them on that. Uh, I couldn't get them. I tried them on their home line. I couldn't get them. And so my wife and I uh, talked about it. And I said, you know what? I'll drive out there and just make sure they're okay. So I went to drive uh, out there. The freeways are great uh, to get you from one town to another. But when an overpass is down, now you have to take surface streets. So it took quite a while. I got to Northridge. I tried to turn up the hill uh, at one uh, uh, intersection. I couldn't go because a gas main had broken and there were flames coming out of the street. And then I went down a ways and there was a water main broken. There's water coming down the street. And I had it. So it took a while to wind my way up to their house. I get there and Stephanie's sitting on the curb with her head hands crying. And, um, I asked, you know, is everybody okay? Yes, we took the kids down the hill. They're staying with someone else, and we're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, Where's John? He's in the house. So John and I went through the house real quickly, and uh, their house was just completely trashed. Um, There was a wall, I remember, specifically between the kitchen and the dining room 
that was just a straight wall. And after the earthquake, it was completely S-shaped. Wow. Which would be kind of cool if the architect designed it that way. But that's not how it was designed. Their fridge tipped over. Everything in the cupboards in the kitchen come out. They didn't have a painting or a picture or a mirror left on the walls. The pool had lost about two feet of water. Their chimney came down in the neighbor's bedroom and missed the neighbors because it was an early morning earthquake. Right. Missed the neighbors by just a foot or two. Otherwise, they would have been gone. Right. So it was a mess. John had John was an administrator of a skilled nursing hospital, and all the power was out, and the water was out, and some people are on oxygen and things. So he had to leave and go down and you know make sure the generators were all going, make sure everything was okay, and then. Um, uh, so he left. Stephanie, I, I, Stephanie and I finally got in the house. We started cleaning up a little bit. Uh, just as she would feel more comfortable, there was an aftershock. And uh, she was out in the street, like in about a second and a half. <laughs> I'm not going back in there. And so we were done cleaning up. But what happened is there was, I tell that story because since that time, uh, we have a connection that uh, binds us together uh, very closely, very tightly. Uh, They're best friends. And um, a lot of that arises out of the fact that I just not ignored, but set aside my own problems at my home and took the time to go and see them. And I wasn't looking for at the time some, you know, long lasting friendship with them. I just was worried about them. I cared of them. The compassion was, is there something I can do? I don't know if there's anything I can do, but the charitable thing is to go there and see them. And if there is something I can do, do it. Right. And so we did that a little bit, but it created a connection um, that has, uh, that has been extremely strong ever since. And even, even living far apart now, uh, we still talk, we still see each other all the time. And, there's this relationship that has amazing value uh, that that would have been different than it is now. And it's because of this idea of joy. Right. Well, you because you took the time to actually go check on a friend and make sure they were okay. That, in my yeah. eyes, is priceless to anybody. You know what I mean? If and I have had that happen too when I lost my sister, brother, and mother. Those friends that actually took the time to call and see if I was okay. Like I can't put a price on those friendships, right? Just actually say, "Hey, what can I do to help?" It's been amazing, you know. Thank you for sharing these stories with my audience yeah. and myself. And but before we leave again, I want to ask: tell my audience again the name of your book and where they could find it. It's called Joy in the Brambles. It's on Amazon.com. And uh, the reaction to the book has been really good. People really like it. It's short, started out long, uh, cut it down. Uh, People say it's an easy read. Uh, People like the message. Uh, It focuses for them uh, the, uh, the notion of what joy is and how you get there. Um, and so, so, so far people have really liked it. One, uh, one lady uh, wrote and said, I'm reading a chapter the chapters are very short. I'm reading a chapter a day to my small children and just talking about, 
uh, caring for other people. Uh, so it's, it is easy to read. Uh, and uh, I think that people will really like it. I love it. I love it. You heard it, audience. You can get his book on Amazon. Um, well, Ross, this has been, for me, and I know my audience, an amazing time. Thank you for taking the time to spend with us and share your story and how the book came apart and just sharing your life with us. I appreciate it. Uh, we need more people like you out in the world. My friend, I, I enjoyed this very, very much. So you heard it, everybody. If Ross made you smile, if he made you think, if he taught you something, if he made you go, hmm, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star review so more people can find the podcast. Um, again, this has been a great time. And until next time, everybody. Are you tired of being weighed down by life's traumas and struggles? Join the Fearless Happiness Lifestyle and let us guide you toward a brighter future. Explore past podcast episodes and get a copy of the Fearless Happiness book to ignite your inner strength. If you or someone you love is battling addiction or facing challenges related to unresolved trauma, know that we are here for you. Visit maxnaist.org, M-A-X-N-I-J-S-T dot O-R-G, and take the first steps toward finding your fearless happiness. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of Fearless Happiness.